Hey, we're here at the Sports Experience with your hosts, Chris Quinn and Dom Ditola. And we're just a podcast where we talk about a bunch of cool, crazy, wild uh, sports stories. And today, I think we're just going to get into, we've been talking a lot about mergers. Yeah, mergers. So yeah. we're going to talk about the ABA now, the, Amer- the American Basketball Association. 1967 to 1976. Yep. And uh, we just did a podcast on the AFL, which was pretty much the blueprint for what the ABA tried to do. Tried to do. Yeah. They definitely did not do it. They weren't as successful, but yeah. they did have success as far as forcing a merger. That was their original plan, though, was... Yeah make competition in this basketball league to force a merger. Absolutely. It was their, like, it's kind of crazy to think that was their original plan. The AFL wanted to have competition with the NFL. The ABA pretty much was just like, hey, if the NBA ever wants to come in and yeah, merge, for, we're, we're in. From the very beginning, like, they didn't want to be separate. They only had to be separate so they could become a part of it yep. and take whatever deals available, basically. Yeah. Um, let's get into it with uh how different they were so like the the first commissioner of the aba george mikan who was a pretty much a a star in the nba hall of fame player i mean he 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 was a star for the lakers when uh they played in a place that actually had lakes up in minnesota (laughs) (laughs) there you go and he brought legitimacy to the aba right off of the bat yeah because he was such a well-known figure and what he instituted right off the bat was the three-point line. Three-point line, which is, you know, the way the old NBA was played, it was a very inside game. George Mikan was the center star yeah. when he had played in the NBA. A nice sky hook, and that's all you need. Yeah, just uh, dump a, it in. and A lot of half-court plays. So yeah. you would go in, you get into your position, the defense would get into their position. It was a very boring game. Yeah, very stodgy, very just kind of by the book, you know, just fundamental and, you know. <laughs> Very a, f- a fundamental base game. It had almost nothing to do with what basketball is today. Yeah, I mean the the NBA that you're watching today is an ABA style game, much oh, like 100%. the much like the AFL with the NFL. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we have um, the first uh, round of of franchises. This mm-hmm. is this was actually kind of interesting. Um, I think I messed it up on the last podcast. Um, the the, to get into be an ABA franchise, you actually had to just give five thousand dollars. That was their entry fee. Yeah, five. Yeah, five. I thought it was five mil, but yeah, yeah, five, five something. Yeah, five something. <laughs> five something. Not a lot of money in yes. today's standards. Yes. Um, and the teams that uh, originally were, how do I even put this? They were in markets that the NBA was not. But they started off extremely bad. Like they had like twenty people at some. Yeah, games, I mean this this was this was a really uphill battle. Even in some of these basketball starved places like yes. uh, Kentucky and stuff like that, it was really hard to draw fans. And a lot of team, very few teams. I mean Kentucky and Denver and Miami. Indiana. I mean, those are Kentucky, Denver, and Indiana are really the only teams that didn't have to move. Yes, because it was a lot of franchises folding or moving because of fan interest. It, it's it was actually kind of interesting. I think the first uh, championship team had to move right after they won a championship. So I think it was the uh, the Oakland Oaks. They were the yep. second one, but uh, Pittsburgh was the first one. Oh, okay, and then the Pittsburgh Pipers, and then they became the Condors, and then they moved all sorts of different places. Yep. Yeah, I mean, and then I think they became the Pipers again, and then that was something about this league is franchises were opening and closing 
every single year. Yeah. It, there was no real continuity outside of those three franchises. And it was it was really a struggle outside of places like, you know, Denver, Indiana, um, Kentucky to just get people interested. But also, you know, it was a struggle year to year for these franchises to be like, we got to keep this thing going. Maybe one day we're going to get a murder. We just have to keep the pieces in place, enough yeah. teams so we can make schedules and things like that. And I think that's where you get a lot of the uh, sideshows mm-hmm. that happened because a lot of like the halftime shows were very ridiculous. And that was when we first started to see cheerleaders like the Miami, Miami ball girls. The Miami ball girls were pretty much girls dressed up in bikinis and that was the attraction for a lot of the the guys but that this is how bad the league was starting off was there they really shouldn't have lasted three years no they really shouldn't have um honestly my only exposure to the aba was my dad telling me stories about the nuggets um over at old mcnichols and the movie semi-pro with will ferrell yeah the movie semi-pro is and you know as ridiculous as the aba but it seems almost legit. It seems almost on point. Yes. And that was like, like I, you know, before the research, I'm thinking like, okay, semi-pro is like a, a stupid but funny movie. And then I'm like, my God, they're like on point with some of this. I was going to say, like, they almost like dumbed it down a little. They almost yeah. like took it back. Like they wouldn't even believe this. No, but I mean, it was, I was thinking like, my God, Will Ferrell, way to go. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get started with the ball though. To yeah, start the it ball off. is the most important thing. Because I, I feel like it's the most iconic thing to come out of the ABA. And in the first two seasons, it was really poorly made. So for those of you who don't know, the ABA ball, unlike the NBA ball, which is like kind of an orange brown kind of color the aba went full red white and blue in each of the little sections and it's sweet to look at especially when you see somebody just stroke it perfectly i love that the backspin on it oh god it's the best but their original balls were high glossy paint and you couldn't handle it you You, couldn't handle it and you watch these old highlights and guys it literally just slips through their hands you're like was that ball wet yeah it's it's bouncing and the way that it hits the backboard and it the bounces. rim and stuff yeah. yeah it just like really hits that hit on it and yep. it just goes and once they kind of figured out the ball in in the third season i feel like that's kind of when you saw the aba play start to come in so you saw the attacking yeah. the rim because of the three-pointer and uh- and honestly, a big reason why they couldn't get any quality big men in the league. Yes. So it was a lot of spreading it around, fast breaks, you know, three-point shooting, that type of thing. I, I found that interesting where nowadays every single team has a seven-footer. Every, like, college team has a seven-footer. Yeah. Now, back then, it was hard to get someone 6'10", 6'9", to be your dominant, you know, inside man because the NBA had all of them. Yeah, and I mean, you didn't have necessarily the financial um, advantages like the AFL had to kind of lure a lot of these guys away. Obviously, the ABA had some success, but not nearly to the same extent, so it was almost out of necessity. Like, you watch what the, the Warriors did, you yes. know, when they were in their hate. There was, I mean, their size, obviously, the guys are big, but they're not just dumping it into the center and everybody's, you know, one-on-one. The passing is beating the zone and you're really moving it and guys can shoot and guys can shoot that's when i feel like a real not a mid-range jumper but a real you know shooter took takes precedent in these teams because before you would get you know kareem doing 
35 points a game. And Will Chamberlain, Will, you think he's going to step outside the arc? No exactly. <laughs> and then you start getting these shooters getting 20, 30 points a game, and it really changes the way defenses line up. Yeah. And, and it, this this is the time I just want to add one thing where you didn't see zone. No. It was man on man. I mean, the illegal defense rule, I don't think, went away in the NBA until like 2003. That, that was going to be my next, yeah. So you, you never saw zone. It, it, it was such a different game. Yeah, but it was fun. Like yes. you watch it, and then you're like, "Oh, I'm like watching 2020 basketball in 1973." Yes, exactly, exactly. It was very. They were so revolutionary in the way that not only the way the basketball was played, but everything they implemented. So yeah, I think before the ABA dunking wasn't very. So like you would dunk in the NBA, but you do it once or twice in a game, maybe. Yeah, and they had banned dunking in college basketball for a while. I think when Kareem was at UCLA, yes, they, they did. banned it. Yeah, they banned dunking. Yes, the the pretty much what everybody wants to see from basketball. They decided, hey, we're gonna take a step back from that. I love. Uh, it, it always makes me laugh. It's like the commissioner is like, look, you know how like you have fun watching these games and everything that makes it fun. I'm just gonna take that away. Yeah, exactly. You know the play at the plate. Yeah, we're done with that. You know dunking. <laughs> We're done with that. <laughs> like, it's such an interesting take from, I don't know what their mindset is to, do they think that they're bringing more fairness to the game or, you know what I mean? I don't, I, I mean, I don't know what they were thinking with, with that type of nonsense, but I, I do know that the NBA, you know, or the ABA, I should say, um, if you want people to come to your game, you have to have guys that can do the things that people want to see. Yes. Yeah. They, they have to be doing things that the NBA players aren't doing. Exactly. And that's kind of what they ended up doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the NBA, the ABA had a huge problem, like you were saying, financially. They couldn't give the contracts to dwarf the NBA contracts. Yeah. So they had to get creative. Exactly. And I think one of the most important signings in in basketball history is spencer haywood yep and they i want to say they signed him as a sophomore yeah he was uh, after he finished his sophomore year after he finished his yeah. sophomore year yeah and so before then you couldn't sign players or i don't even know if there was a rule it was almost like a, a, a an eligibility rule yeah. yeah i mean they basically what what happened was was spencer haywood um you know came from a very poor background and his family didn't have money, but he's still got to play two more years collegiately so he can go to the NBA. Yeah. And to their credit, the ABA, what they did was, and this is what the USFL ended up doing later, mm -hmm. which forced the change in the NFL. They were signing underclassmen. Yeah, they said, hey, you can come play for us professionally and make money now, mm -hmm. which he was like, okay. that's." And this is why I hate college sports in that sense where it forces athletes to make that choice. Yeah. Where they should be at least making some kind of money from the revenue they generate. But hey, we can... That's yeah, a that's, different a, that's a podcast. different discussion where I would go on a Dennis Miller rant for days. Oh, I bet. But the Haywood rule is, is in effect now, the one and done rule is what it's called pretty much. But yeah. it, it's... It's something that had such an impact on basketball that you still reference it today. Well, yeah, not only that, you later had Moses Malone play professionally out of high school. The yep. ABA went after him. Yeah, and to because their he credit, was that good. Yeah, he was that good. I mean, you don't see that a lot, but Moses Malone's in the Hall of Fame, a great yeah. player. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing that put the fear in the NBA was the ABA was disregarding this eligi eligibility rule, and they were saying, hey, if you want to come play professionally, we'll... We don't care how many years you have in college. Yeah, and another smart thing that the owners did was 
they would have their drafts set up a little bit differently than other leagues is Dan Issel was talking about he played at Kentucky and he, they were trying to get him to go to the ABA and him and they were like, hey, where do you want to play? Yeah, what's the what's the highest percentage team that you would like? Who do you want to yeah. go? You know, like the collusion that was in their drafts was very necessary. It was very necessary. Because they were like, getting hometown kids to stay in and play in hometown professional teams. Yeah, like, um, oh, God, uh, they had a North Car- guy from North Carolina. You sent him to Virginia yep. to play. I mean... I forgot who that was, but I know exactly yeah. what you mean. It's or such an George, interesting... George McGinnis playing for the Pacers. Yep. You know, because he came from a poor background. His mom needed money. She lived in Indianapolis or outside Indianapolis. Go play for the Pacers. Exactly. Like, you, you would up your chances of signing these guys, not only through the extra money you could get, but also to make them happy and not have to go somewhere in the NBA where they have no idea where they're going to go. Yes. It, it's, it was a very smart take by the NBA where nowadays players will go all, all over the country. It wouldn't even be a question. Uh, but yeah. back in the day, it was like, I don't want to leave home. I, yeah. went, I went to college here. I grew up here. It, it was very smart by the ABA to... And they're desperate. They're like, we need stars. <laughs> Extremely desperate, yes. And that's when I feel like you get their first huge star. Yes. And Dr. J. Dr. J. And I remember growing up, I thought Julius Irving and Dr. J were two different people. <laughs> and my dad ripped me so hard when I was like 10 because they he played for the Nets. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Or whatever. But he played for the 76ers. And yeah, that's what I that's why I always merger, knew yeah. from Dr. J was him on the 76ers and I thought that he just always played for him but he originally was drafted into the New York Nets and then the and then they became the New Jersey Nets and Brooklyn Nets and the whatever now Nets. everything yeah, Nets. <laughs> the San Diego Nets the yeah. LA Nets. I don't know where they're going next year <laughs> but it's one of those things where when you're a kid you I just didn't even think that there were two different, you know, I just thought they were two different guys. And he was, he was a player. I mean, obviously one of the greatest players of all time, but he was someone who really took advantage of the The, league's wide open play because he was doing things athletically that had never been seen before. And he was like the marquee star. And luckily for him played in the marquee market of New York to kind of put the ABA and give him some sort of legitimacy. Yeah, because when he got drafted, this was a quote that he said, he got drafted to Virginia. I forget who it was. Virginia Squires. Squires. Um, He said, wow, now I can finally attack the rim. Yeah. Like, it it was such a, like, the chains are off now. Now I can finally do exactly what I want with basketball. Yeah, and if you're an ABA owner – front office coaching staff you need guys to do that because you're drawing 30 people a night in you know most of these teams really didn't have established homes or arenas it's not like the afl where they ended up building them new places the only teams that really merged were the teams that built new stadiums and could stay in one place and didn't have to worry about moving or anything a lot of these teams played their home games in two or three different places throughout the season like they would yeah. play some games in a high school gym and then they would play like in their real arena that they you know it was it, like the beginnings of the afl yeah. only for the entirety like yeah in for, perpetuity basically was, yeah it's like the first three seasons in the afl but they literally they were trying to keep that ship going the <laughs> whole time which is kind of ridiculous to think that they kept afloat because of how many just franchise overturn, just how big the franchise overturn was. Yeah, I, I, I think for me, what I had gathered from researching this is they got by 
by doing things a different way and yep. getting just enough stars to keep it interesting. And they had a couple of markets that were big, Indiana, mm-hmm. Denver, mm-hmm. Kentucky. And, and then, the, I mean, and while the Spurs were also part of the merger, they played in Houston, they played in Dallas before they say, eventually settled in San Antonio. They were pretty much the Texas Spurs because of all the different places. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they really had trouble, but they ended up getting really lucky because San Antonio did not, and they still don't have any professional sports team yeah. outside of the Spurs. Yeah. Well, the ABA doing, let's talk about the ABA doing stuff a little bit different. They brought in the dunk contest. Yeah, and the uh, the last All-Star game they held at uh, Old McNichols Arena in Denver, they had uh, Dr. J. Dr. And J. David Skywalker Thompson, who, if you if you don't know who David, David Thompson is, great player at, I believe, North Carolina State in college. He played for the Nuggets. He was just an amazing scorer. Like, yeah. go to YouTube and watch some of that guy's stuff. He is fantastic. Yeah, and that's when you see the the art of the dunk come out. Oh, totally. You know, like, they, they're doing this stuff mid-game, but then you start to see, you know, Julius jump from the foul line. And, oh, and it's so cool. <laughs> it's just all these things that are pretty much like prototypes of what NBA is now. The the creativity is the most important part. Yes. And they really had they they were really backed into a corner. They had no other choice other than to let their players be as creative as they wanted to, whether it was their style of play, whether it was, you know, style the big afros. The yeah. yeah the, I mean, you know, facial hair, everything. Well, that's what they said. They were pretty much free. You know, there yeah. wasn't there there wasn't this these franchises that had these storied histories where they were like, hey, you really need to clean it up. It was more like, hey, you really we don't know if we're going to pay you this week. Yeah, by the way, Red Auerbach is an effing dick. Let me just say that. <laughs> the Boston Celtics coach, GM, whatever, you but, know, ripping on the ABA and wanting to stifle creativity. Shove it up your ass. The only reason you won is because of Bill Russell, you douchebag. The only thing, he was the biggest douche throughout this whole story, but the only thing was he was so correct in that in being like, why would we merge? Yeah, exactly. That no, was he my, was totally right. I mean, his. Yeah. He, he, I mean, just very dickish in the way that he uh, discussed the ABA and their I, players. I felt like he was kind of anti-black in that era and I oh, don't yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily true but he was definitely like I don't know about these flashy guys running up and down. The, you know, like that's kind of his take on it was it needed to be a half court game. And, you know, he, he wanted he wanted the Bill Russell scene not heard and having to take all of the awful things from Boston's racist sports fan. Base. Exactly. Like that's exactly. what he wanted. Exactly. But he was right. The they should not have merged. That was one thing that I took away from this was the merger was not in the NBA's NBA's best fate, best interest. No, and that's why, unlike the NFL and AFL, they only took the teams in markets where A, people cared, B, there were enough people, and C, the teams were really good. Like, the Pacers were pretty much the team of the ABA winning yeah. three of the nine titles. I mean... Three of the nine, and I think they did uh, five of the last six championships. Like, they were definitely in the, a ton of championships and had a great team. Yeah, always in the hunt with great players. Yeah. Like, honestly... Hey, everybody. Just want to take a quick break to uh, let you know that our Sports Experience podcast is brought to you by Engel Studio here, and uh, they're here in Tucson for all your recording needs. But let's talk about... I want to talk about the way that the merger... How do I even put this? I lost my train of thought. Hmm. The way the merger was on kind of... 
it was almost a death sentence for the rest of the league no, that didn't make it? Yeah, or? the way yes, the way the merger um, reverberated through the rest of the league that didn't make it. So yeah. it happened. What happened to those teams are so different from each other. It's it's almost ridiculous. Yeah, I mean. Even during the last season of the ABA, teams were folding. Yes. Like they had to revise the schedule because teams were like dropping out because they couldn't pay their players and they they um, yeah they stopped halfway through. Yeah. So technically, the Nets were the champions, but they have an asterisk by it because I think they only played like thirty games in the season. Yeah. Or something like that. So like, and they normally play seventy or you know whatever they would normally play. But it's one of those things where they were folding. They were going on yeah. and the NBA pretty much came in and were like, well, we'll take those markets. Like, that's what I, my thought is, is the mm-hmm. NBA was like, we'll take Indiana. We'll take, you know. Yeah, they, they, they were probably like, this is easier than expansion. And these teams are going to have to pay us a ton of money to join us. That Let's was just take the scraps and it's going to be hell to get these expansion teams up and going and competitive. And they could They're, almost control these teams. Like what happened with the Nets, I yes. think, is is something that has to be mentioned was they were the New York Nets and then they were brought in through the merger and were pretty much forced to become the New Jersey Nets. So they were forced to move out of New York. Yeah. And then they had the, uh, for the guys not on those teams, they had the dispersal draft, much like the USFL with the NFL is the NBA teams just say, all right, if you're not on these teams, I want you, I want you, I yep. want you, I want you. And well, that was the other thing is they had to pay, like you were saying, they had to pay out these franchises and the Nets had to pay so much that they ended up selling uh, Dr. J's contract to the 76ers. Exactly. And that's why he became a 76er. And that's why the Nets are a historically horrible franchise is they've <laughs> never been able to dig themselves out of that hole. Yeah. I mean, you did not see an ABA team win an NBA championship until 1999 with the Spurs. So yep. that is over 20 years where, you know, I don't even think. If memory serves me right, I don't think an ABA team made the finals until that year. Uh, I think the, you're right because the Pacers never Pacer, made the... Pacers were the year after where they yeah. lost to the Lakers, but that's it. And then... Nuggets never made it. They made a big deal about it. I actually enjoyed it. In 2003, the Spurs and the Nets were in the finals, and everyone was like super geeked for that because yep. it was like this is the first time two ABA teams have played each other. Like It's a non-NBA finals almost. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk about, and this is probably my favorite story of of the yeah. merger, is the spirit of St. Louis. Oh, God. Yes, please. They, um, they were a, a newer franchise. I think they were around... Well, no, they had started in... Um, they were one of those regional teams in Carolina. They okay. had played in a whole bunch of different cities, didn't really get off the ground, and then they moved to St. Louis. Yep, and became the spirit of St. Louis. And when the merger happened, they were one of the teams that didn't go. So um, spirit of St. Louis, Kentucky... Colonels, uh, one other. I think Virginia was the other one. Virginia. Virginia Squires. And the Virginia Squires were the three teams that didn't end up going to the uh, NBA. And Kentucky and Virginia got small buyouts. Yes, small buyouts. um, uh, The Colonels, their buyout, though, led to their owner buying the Buffalo Braves of the NBA, which later moved and became the San Diego and now Los Angeles Clippers. I don't know if that was the deal 
you know what I mean? Where it was like, we'll give you this much and then you can immediately go and buy this team. Yeah. I don't, you know? I don't think it was. I think their owner was just like, all right, I got this extra dough. Let's make it happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm closing this franchise, but I'll buy that one. And they were like, okay. And that, that was a shame for Kentucky though, because the, the ABA was around for nine seasons. They had winning records in eight. They won a title. They had artist Gilmore, who's a great big man um, on their team. You know, Dan old very loyal and basketball-hungry fan base. It's just yes. you're not going to be able to support a team. And I think Louisville is where they had played. Yeah. So just very unfortunate for them. But uh, the Spirits, though, with Bob Costas doing play-by-play for yeah. them, they uh, they really got the best end of the deal even over any of the teams that made it, in my opinion, I was at least say, their owners. As far as the the revenue that they generated has to be – one of the greatest deals ever. Yeah. They got um, a cut of the TV revenue of all the teams who had merged in so perpetuity. All, all four teams. That he uh, And I don't know how much they got, maybe like 10% or something. but By 2014, it was $300 million. Yes, it generated $300 million. Yeah. And, and, then, and I think in 2015, they got a new um, TV contract going. And that's when they came in and were like, we cannot pay you out anymore. Yep. And so, but yeah, 2014, um, the NBA came to the people who were making money off of this and said, either you, like, we're not going to pay you anymore. How does a half a billion dollar buyout sound? Which, Let me say that again. Half a billion dollars. Let, let me let me put this in perspective, though, because I bet they could have generated that over like 20 years for, yeah. for not going through this deal. You know what I mean? That's how much money the NBA makes with their worldwide I mean, they're the. I think they're the biggest um, American sports export right now, with them getting into China and all that. Oh, absolutely! So, yeah. like, their TV revenue has to be ridiculous. So, oh, half insane. a billion dollars doesn't. I mean, it's insane, but. But I, to be that smart to say like, exactly. okay, we'll, we'll fold, we'll fold up shop, but uh, how about we just take a little slice? And it was. It's almost like George Lucas um, getting all the licensing rights for Star Wars. Exactly. Like it, instead of Fox. It's one of those things where you can see some of some of these people could really see the writing on the wall where the TV deal wasn't shit then, but man, was it going to be something. Well, and that and this kind of reminds me of the Magic Johnson episode we did is because at that time the NBA even though it was like the league this is still like the mid to late seventies. It is yes. not popular. No, they they still had fights. The Chicago Bulls were being out. Um, there was bigger attendance for an indoor soccer team. Yeah, I mean, you it it hadn't reached that popularity. No, and you know, for the the uh, people on the spirits to uh, be like, hey, how about you just give us a cut of the TV revenue? We, I don't know where this is going. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it was just like you know what. If we're gonna have if this is gonna go down, we'll just take the revenue and you guys can just do with whatever you want. It's such a great move. I love it. Oh, very smart. Um Bob Costas though, what a interesting yeah. uh reporter he turned out to be. Yeah, no, I mean, shoot, he did NBA on NBC for forever. Yep. A great opening intro, by the way, NBA on NBC. Thing. Oh, yeah. Check that out. I don't know. Yeah. So many notes. So much cocaine for John Tesh, I believe. I think that was my favorite when we were listening to that. Somebody was just like, yeah, somebody on cocaine wrote this. It was just like, yes, that's a song written by cocaine, not by a human, but by a drug. 
But uh, speaking of Costas, he was telling the story. There was a great player for the the Spirits. He had played college at uh, Providence, uh, Marvin Barnes, really good big man. And uh, they were playing a game. Uh, Costas was talking about they're on the plane. They're leaving Louisville to go to St. Louis. Both cities are pretty close. Yeah. But Louisville is in the Eastern time zone. St. Louis is in the Central time zone. So they get out their itineraries, and it says, Depart Louisville, 8 p.m. Arrive in St. Louis, 7.59 p.m. Because of the time difference. Marvin Barnes leans into uh, Bob Costas and some of the other people and says, I don't know what this is all about, but I came here to play basketball and not go back in time. (laughs) (laughs) That's so great. Oh, my God. Like When I heard that story about Piss My Pants, I was laughing so hard. Oh, I love it. But yeah, the, the Spirits were a team. I mean, then they ended up lasting because they had guys like Barnes and a lot of really younger, talented players. They just like weren't like as good of a team as you know, like Indiana and things yeah. like that. But they were a very fun team to watch. And they were definitely on the on the up on the upswing. Yeah, where some of these other teams were kind of on the downswing. So it's interesting that they ended up not merging because St. Louis actually probably had a pretty good uh I mean that's probably a pretty good market for a team for basketball yeah. yeah so it's hard to you know some of these other Kentucky you can see why they didn't merge and you know but yeah yeah I've always found that but I've always known um St. Louis is really just a baseball town yeah they I really mean, are you have the Cardinals and then I mean the Blues just won the cup last year after 50 years of just you know choking it away but I mean it is a a baseball town and it is unfortunate though for the fact they couldn't keep going but i'm sure nobody would trade uh 800 million dollars exactly <laughs> jesus uh the revenue they made i love the name too spirit of st louis you don't have those names of something of some you know what i mean oh yeah no i mean some of the names i was looking at like that i absolutely love anaheim amigos i love that S- san diego conquistadors Houston Mavericks. I mean, obviously they became the Spurs. Minnesota Muskies, New Orleans Buccaneers. I yep. mean, good on UA. Good on UABA. Yeah, ABA definitely had some great teams and some great players that came out. Dr. J and all of the, and really revolutionized the way basketball was played. Oh yeah, uh, Larry Brown, famous coach, only head coach ever to win an NCAA and an NBA title. He was a point guard in the league. Yeah, he actually got players to come and play. Connie Hawkins was an amazing player for Pittsburgh. He had a great story. Did you uh, ever look into him? No, what was the Connie Hawkins story? So Connie Hawkins, he was um, kicked out of the University of Iowa because apparently he was um, he was allegedly tied to a point-shaving scandal, but they never found any evidence. But because he was even tied to it, nobody in the NBA would even touch him despite being like super-duper talented. Oh, okay. And he lost like a chunk of his career to not playing, but when the ABA came along, they're like, you're good you can play yeah <laughs> like and he was a huge reason why the team in pittsburgh was so successful at least on the court first championship mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. connie yeah. hawkins that's interesting because that that was a big controversy back then was point shaving it in ncaa and and that's why nba really were trying to distance themselves from players like that yeah yeah but the aba i mean if you could play you found a home yeah and it was probably more out of necessity than anything else. But, you know, if you could play and you could come in and, you know, get people at the box office, I mean, yeah. They did uh, – originally they did one of the those Philadelphia Eagles 
style tryouts oh, for yeah. all their teams and oh, they were god. like oh my god it was so bad <laughs> they were like we were cutting hundreds of guys just off the bat like if you were running around and throwing up they were like you're done you're out get out of here like it, it's such an interesting th- it's such an interesting thing that they did was have this league that was not very successful but really had this one goal and and succeeded in that goal yeah i mean I find it not more impressive than what the AFL did because what the AFL did is amazing. Yeah, they established their own league. But what the AFL found after like year five or six is like, okay, this is a viable business venture and we can just like do our thing and keep doing it and eventually we're going to force a merger. Yeah. The ABA was resuscitating itself, it seems, from what I had researched on a daily basis. Yeah. Just like day after day, like... Can we keep the doors open? It was less, and I think in the AFL, it was more like individual, even though it was a collective, but it was more like individual teams playing against each other. Mm-hmm. In the ABA, it was more like, hey, how can we get this as a collective to to merge? Because they, the collusion and the the way that franchises dealt with each other, it was like, mm-hmm. it was... It was almost like they weren't, they didn't care who won and lost, if yeah. that makes sense. It was almost like, hey, we need to get this end goal. Like uh, we were talking about Oakland earlier. Pat, yeah. Pat Boone owned part of the Oakland Oaks before they went off and became some other team. I think they moved to like Washington or something. Yeah, they did. They moved to Washington. You're right. Um, they had signed Rick Barry, who was the NBA scoring champion. Yes. And he had brought them a championship and won. He jumped back to the NBA. Yeah. And well, there was a little controversy with Rick Barry where um, he couldn't get out of his contract. He couldn't get at the out of beginning. His... Yeah, he missed like the first season. Yeah, yeah. It, where it was kind of interesting because I think Pat Boone or maybe somebody else was his like father-in-law. So that's why he wanted to jump ship. He was like, "Well, there's yeah." The this... coach was his father. Yeah, that's what it yeah. was. And he's like, wanted to jump ship, and the NBA was just like, "You're under contract. We're... This isn't." even question but they would do crazy things like with barry um they offered him part ownership in the team yes to to even play for them it's just nuts (laughs) but that's how much ownership meant back then was they needed this legitimacy of of these players you know yeah you you needed to have the talent and paying customers paying customers and by and large you only have the paying customers coming unless you're City loves basketball, or you have a Dr. J or a David Thompson. I was going to say, even the halftime shows that they were trying to put on weren't drawing the people, and they didn't have the TV deal that the AFL ended no, up getting. No, they never ended up getting it. Never. So some games were televised, but the reason why the AFL deal was so important was it was like a straight up package of like every single week. Yeah. You know, and the ABA just didn't have that legitimacy. No, people thought it was second, like Red Auerbach thought it was second-rate basketball. Yes, and, yeah. and it, it kind of, the first three, four seasons, it kind of was. By and large, yeah. I mean, and I'm sure if you went back and looked at, you know, the players that ended up sticking and staying in the NBA, it probably wasn't as many as uh, definitely the AFL. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But, I mean, that's that's the way these leagues kind of evolve. You know, yeah. like you see they're playing ABA basketball pretty much now, mm-hmm. not what NBA basketball was. So it's you have to have these outsiders come in and look at it and see what kind of needs to be changed or what isn't right with it, you know. And I think the most interesting thing, though, 
from the podcast today, AFL and ABA, is you will never see that again in professional sports. No. No matter, I think the last gasp for it, and they would have had an ABA situation, was the USFL before um, Trump had a huge uh, hand in ruining all of it. Yeah. Is at that time in professional sports, the market wasn't saturated. Like now it's saturated. You have 30 plus teams in every league now. Yes. There's no other way, there's no other place that you're going to A, be able to expand, or B, the talent pool is already diluted to such an extent that nobody who's currently playing is going to be worse than probably 99% of what's out there. Yeah. So. You're right. You'll probably never see this again. No, you'll never see an upstart league compete with an already established professional sports league ever. And I think that's what makes it so riveting and so special. Yeah. In the 60s and 70s with these, I mean, we did both of them. Um, But with these AFL and ABA, they are what that's it. That, that's what is – you'll never see it again. You'll never see a league threatened by an outside league. Like with the XFL coming in, Yeah, the NFL was never threatened by them. You all, know? all the NFL did when it came to the XFL is they look at it like the Canadian League is who are the top two to five players yep. in this league. Do they fit us? Can we sign them? I was going to say, are they on their upswing? Are they on their downswing? Can we sign them? If not, go yeah. see ya. Yeah, like they're they're no threat. They're no. no threat to the box office. They're no threat to innovating anything. Yeah. I mean, the only things I will give the XFL credit in the first installment what they did is they were very innovative in how the games were broadcast as far as camera work. Yes. Because the NFL you watch now on TV, not the style of play, but the NFL that you watch as far as like the production sky value. cam, yeah, yeah, the production value, which makes sense because it's wrestling. But I mean, yep, that's. That was what they innovated, not like the ABA or the AFL. Yeah, they they definitely, uh, the production value and the way that it was presented was like the hardcore NFL. I remember that. Oh, man, I remember that, too. I was so stoked. And then it's like, oh. The plays are not good. (laughs) Yeah. You missed that block? (laughs) Hey, as a Steelers fan, that one magical 2002 Tommy Maddox season will always (laughs) stick with me. Million-dollar game winner. (laughs) That's great. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to that podcast. This is just a stock message at the end of all of our podcasts, so we hope you enjoy. You listen to whatever athlete that was. Give us a follow at the Sports Experience Podcast on Instagram. Also, myself at Sequin Comedy on Instagram. Also, Totola Dominic on Instagram. Just follow us all around. If you have any suggestions for any athletes you want us to do, shoot us an email at the Sports Experience Podcast at gmail.com. And we always are recording right here at Angle Studio. Thank you all very much. <laughs>